welcome back to HOA, It's a True Story. I am so excited to bring back one of our original guests again, Jennifer Jacobson. She's an attorney and partner with the Dallin and Jacobson Law Firm. They specialize in general counsel needs for HOAs. And we're speaking with Jennifer today regarding part two or four, I'm not sure which one we're at now, of our series going against the board diffusing disputes. This seems to be such a hot topic that we've added on again to the same series because it really seems to strike a chord with people. So we're really pleased to have you back again joining us today, Jen, and welcome to HOA. It's a true story. Thank you. I'm a third timer at this point. I kind of feel like I deserve an award at some point. I, for think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think that officially puts you on the show more than anybody else. So that's all great. right. Well, it's an honor. Thank you for having me. And of course, also joining us today is Bill Mann, president of GV Group. Thank you, Reagan. So Jennifer, we talked a little bit about these past episodes of this topic, and we addressed a homeowner that sued his board. We addressed the arbitration process, and then we talked about neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor disputes. So I guess we are on part four. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now what we want to do is gear this to the board members on how to diffuse these situations when they start coming at the board. So what are you telling your boards that find themselves in a hot seat of people coming after them? Right. You know, everybody's really angry these days, it seems like, particularly when they're on social media. Right. Um, it's, not, it's not constricted to our world of the community associations, right? Mm. And adding complex to this issue is Civil Code 4515, which was recently amended by the California legislature to specifically provide that an association cannot retaliate against a member for exercising their rights to the freedom of petition and assembly. So with respect to social media in particular, the law now provides that residents can affirmatively use social media or other online resources to discuss basically any issue of concern to members and residents, even if that content is critical of the association or its governance. And the association specifically by statute cannot retaliate for such discussion. Thankfully, this law does not require the association to provide social media or other online resources to members, nor does it require the association to allow members to post content on the association's internet website. So, you know, this is going to be an interesting issue moving forward. In our firm, we, when we're doing board training, we work a lot with our boards to try to educate them why it's not appropriate as a board member to be out on social media discussing association business. Mm -hmm. You should not be on Facebook. You should not be on Nextdoor. You should not be on other platforms engaging people in association business. That should be done in a properly noticed and agendized board meeting, and you should not take the bait to speak with members outside of that forum. Yeah, we see a lot of people putting pictures of somebody going, hey, my neighbor stole my package. Everybody should watch out for this one guy. He's a thief. And, you know, of course, it's a next door neighbor. Then they start getting that backlash back as a board. So they've actually passed legislation now that's going to prohibit them from retaliating. My favorite, though, is the... Uh... He put poop in my garbage can. This dog poop in my garbage can. <laughs> I can't tell you how many of those I, how many of those popped up on next door back in the day. So 
so are board members protected as individuals from the backlash of that legislation? I mean, they can't retaliate, but what if right. these people are individually coming after them? Right. And, you know, it's, I'm going to tell you, it is extremely hard. And I would say almost impossible to sue somebody for defamation in a common interest setting. Mm. Um, there's laws called slap lawsuits. They're called strategic lawsuits against public participation. And then there's anti-slap laws. So boards are prohibited from suing owners to chill their rights to freedom of expression. And this is now buttressed by the civil code 4515 that says you cannot retaliate and owners are permitted to speak freely and critically of the board members and management. So where I'm going with this moving forward is, you know, we've heard all heard that adage, the best defense is a good offense, right? Right. So really what the board can do to address this is to get ahead of it. The board needs now more than ever to run their board as a business. I tell my board all of the time when we're sitting in board training, you are sitting on the board of directors of a multi-million dollar corporation. Yes. You may be a volunteer, you may not be get, getting paid as a COO or CFO, but you are sitting on a multi-million dollar corporation and you need to run this board with that in mind. So it's really getting back to the practice of running our board meetings as board meetings, having our other activities outside of a board meeting. It's not a fraternity, it's not a sorority, it's not a social hour, it's a board meeting. Wow. You know, you're so right. And to hear these people, sometimes you're dragging them onto the board because they just can't find anybody else. And now you're saying it's a business and you have to be careful and not let anyone, you know, bash you. But I feel like what we really need to do is we need to foster community within the community. And I feel like we need to stop the hate talk and actually find ways to foster goodness within these HOAs. And I mean, we have committees for architecture and construction, and why can't we get a committee that's designed to, to foster the community? Maybe set up activities or social hours or, because you know, you see those in the really big communities, but you don't see them in the small ones. Maybe what they really need to start developing more neighborly conversation rather than the hate speech in social media. Yeah, and you know, one thing that we used to do back in the day, and Bill's been around for this, when we used to have board meetings where we actually elected the board before the secret ballot process went into effect. And annually, we would have to have a gathering of the members. Some might have come in by proxy, but they would gather in person and have a meeting. And people looked forward to that. I don't know, Bill, if you want to speak to your experience, yeah. but my experience was people looked forward to meeting once annually and going face to face and saying hi, and maybe they had a little food and some lemonade and, you know, but it was just a chance for the community to come together and the secret ballot process has kind of taken that away. Yeah, I, get, I agree with you on that, that it has taken that away. And that was an opportunity kind of to, you know, pound the flesh a little bit, look somebody right in the eye, have, you know, have conversations with them. I was at a 55 and older community this week doing a board training. And it was really cool when I walked in, there was the bridge, we had to kick the bridge club out of the room where we were going to have the board <laughs> meeting because they were busy running over their time. Then there was a line dancing taking place in the big area. And they had, everybody was going to be running the 5K that Saturday and everybody was super excited about it. And I just really felt that community and everybody was wearing their name tag and saying hi to each other. And I just really felt that community and particularly that management there was really doing an incredible job of fostering community. 
for their residents. They had a lot of clubs and those clubs kind of run a lot of that activity. And it's very good for those homeowners to be able to participate, many of whom are retired. So that was, you just named all the key points, right? That particular community has people with time, willing to be social, and they can commit to doing events because they have enough people around to engage. So what can we do for these smaller communities that can create a, a fair and unbiased platform for their homeowners and help generate and foster welcomeness? You know, I just, I think we've really gone down this wrong rabbit hole and we've put everybody behind a keyboard instead of putting them together and maybe even talking through some of the problems like, hey, Mr. Smith, can you stop putting poop in his trash? You know, that seems to really be the one thing that upsets him. We're happy to put a bag out in front of your house. <laughs> I just feel like we need to do a little bit more to kind of prevent these things from getting very hostile and going all the way to arbitration. Right, right. Yeah, and I think part of this is, you know, we've lost that touch and feel through the pandemic. We've all kind of lost that sense of community anyways in our right. personal lives. And it's kind of trickled into our communities. And so I think kind of regrouping and figuring out how to do a welcome packet. I know a lot of associations like to do a welcome packet about how to become part of the community with respect to your, your example. We keep talking about the dog poop issue, but you know, maybe creating a, a place. A lot of communities have those little stations where you can get bags and you can, you know, put your stuff. Okay. And that might be a solution for that community to, to address that issue. But on a larger scale, I mean, I see that something that I believe is critically important for the present and future success of communities is strategic planning and succession planning. And what I mean by strategic planning is setting up a business plan for the association. Again, we're running a multi-million dollar corporation and setting tangible, achievable, and productive goals for boards that are inheriting a community with a ton of deferred maintenance, for example, which we've seen a lot of that, right? Tremendous can, amount of it right yeah, now. So Yeah, Bill and I can name a couple here, you know, right off the top of our head. And rather than having those boards stick their head in the sand and argue at every board meeting about whether we do the pavement first or the roofing first or what siding yeah. or whatever, I think that the board needs to intelligently plan for not only their present board, but future boards how to best, you know, tackle that onion and peel that onion. They need to create a team with their manager and trusted contractors, such as GB Group. We've worked with you guys over decades to set up achievable plans over the course of the next several years, or maybe even a decade or more to tackle the deferred maintenance. You can't ignore it anymore. SB 326 is just kind of the tip of the iceberg because we have so many communities that have dangerous conditions because they've kicked the can down the road so long they haven't raised assessment, right? and so it's become a real problem. I think there's also a situation that we haven't really talked about yet, and that is there's a mental illness issue that we're starting to see more and more. Bill kind of lightly touched on it on one of our previous podcasts, and you, and you were referred to it as warehousing, Bill. Why don't you tell us what you mean by that? Well, what we're finding out, particularly when you do some of these large reconstruction projects and you know, we're replacing windows and sliding glass doors, you know, we're having to get into the units more so than just like for painting or roofing type projects. And so you end up finding out is the way, you know, some people are living. And you find out that, you know, a lot of these people that have mental illness become hoarders. And so you get into the units and you find that they're really not habitable 
because of the hoarding situation. And then when you go back to management, you find out, well, the dues are paid by an attorney or a trust or something. They're always paid on time and we don't have any issues. And the guy goes to work every day and comes home and is quiet. And so, you know, these people just kind of as, you know, are just being warehoused there by their families because they don't know what to do with them. And it's probably less expensive to stick them in a condominium than it is into some kind of a facility. So Jennifer, are you aware of this kind of thing? Are you hearing about this? Oh yeah, I, I can give you guys a, an example of, I have a, several communities that are currently dealing with this issue. One example that's probably the most poignant one that we've encountered, there was a gentleman who was, I think he was severely mentally ill and also I think he was doing a lot of drugs. And mm -hmm. he happened to live in a community where there were a lot of nice little old ladies that had <laughs> units right around him. And he had a two-story unit and he would come out, he would bring his garbage out and only wearing a shirt. And the little old ladies were quite <laughs> surprised. Surprised. They thought that management should do something about that. And then he would go back into his unit. He'd throw trash off of his second story into the neighbor's yard, mm. so forth and so on. So this got to the point where so many complaints that we ended up getting restraining orders for all of the owners against him because they were they were scared of him. Mm. Um, the police were called 38 times. Oh my. One of the times the police came, he actually threw a TV off of his second story and smashed the policeman's car and they did not arrest him. He was not arrested any of the 38 times. And we, we were told repeatedly- That's because they don't want to warehouse him down at the jail. That's why. <laughs> they don't want to warehouse him at the jail. It happened to be right after there was a very, very public settlement of a case where a person had died in police custody and police had paid millions of dollars to settle that lawsuit. And I think that had something to do with the department's response to this issue. What ended up happening was he went to San Jose, a different city, and he was arrested for some reason. And they took him in on a 5150, which is a three-day involuntary hold. Um, he ended up staying on a 5250, which was a 14-day involuntary hold. That is how severely mentally ill he was and not dealing with life in a, in a good fashion. And so what ended up finally happening was his mom came in and took care of the association, fixed up the unit, paid all the assessments. And I think a trust in that situation actually, Bill, was paying the assessments before that. And that's why we weren't foreclosing on him because sometimes that's what you have to do, right? Um, yeah, so the, the family has enough money or somebody had enough money to leave or what, you know, whatever the scenario is. And I almost find it globally that from the assessment side of things, they're always up to speed on their payments. I, we, I, you probably yeah. have had some that I haven't been, but I, most of them, I haven't seen anybody like going into foreclosure or anything. Right, right. And it might be cheaper than paying for them to go into assisted living. You know, we, we do have adult protective services. Sometimes those departments are helpful, particularly if you have somebody who has Alzheimer's, severe Alzheimer's and is living alone and really shouldn't be. But Typically, you know, what we do is try to find a family member that you can talk to about the situation because we don't provide hospital services. We don't provide mental health services. We can't be everything to everybody. And the police, unfortunately, just cannot really back us up right now because they're spread so thin as well. So it's, it's a big issue for our association. What about other kinds of emotional concessions? Somebody comes to the board and they've got 
an issue that they're asking for some kind of accommodation that it's just a it's not unreasonable but it's going to push the board beyond what are you telling everybody about you know what emotional responses to these because it could be a blessing or a curse right what should the board know that if they make some kind of emotional concession to help one person what kind of pebble in the pond effect is that going to create Oh, yeah. You know, this is really critical that board members, 7211 of the Corporations Code says that the, that the board, a majority decision of the board is an action of the board. So what, what we say is the board speaks with one voice, not many voices. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to, once the board makes the decision, you don't want to revisit that decision outside of the discussion that's happened while you're ruling on the motion. You don't want to revisit that decision. You, if you're in the minority, you don't want to go back to that homeowner and say, gee, Bill, I'm really sorry that we had to go after you for that, but you need to understand, you really have to cut off the emotions from what you're doing as a board member. Cause again, you're running a business mm -hmm. and you need to understand that, you know, you need to run this as a business. If emotionally it's too tough for you as a board member, then you need to consider resigning because board members need to carry out the will of the majority of the board. And unfortunately that's just how it is. I really like that message that this is a business and you have to respond that way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now you got a homeowner that is just being unreasonable. They're not responding to every effort the board's trying to make to resolve and get this person engaged in a reasonable way. Do you ever recommend committees or third parties to help diffuse the dispute? I totally recommend it. I usually find with people that are being extremely unreasonable, like if they're at a board meeting and they're acting out at a board meeting and, you know, insisting on being recognized and interfering with the board doing their business, it's appropriate for the board to ask them to sit down and be quiet. If they won't sit down and be quiet, or if you're on Zoom, you can mute them. You can ask them to leave the board meeting or you can adjourn the board meeting. I mean, that's a way to handle a homeowner who is totally out of control of the board meeting. But, you know, what I find, and I'm sure you share my thoughts, that people who are being unreasonable, they want to be heard. What they really want is they want their point to be conveyed and to be addressed. It may be that they're totally you know, wrong, that they don't have all the facts at their disposal, and just sitting down with them and educating them may solve the problem. Or maybe they have some really good points that the board hasn't considered. So that may involve management sitting down, inviting them to the management office to sit and talk with them. Maybe the board president sits down and talks with them because we're not having a majority of the board there so they can sit one-on-one -on -one and have those discussions. There's also a statute under the Davis-Sterling Act, the meet and confer statute says that the board can appoint one or more board members, at least one board member to meet and confer with a homeowner upon the homeowner's request. We cannot charge them for that meeting and anything we agree to can be written down and enforced in a court of law. So that's a really good statute for homeowners. When homeowners have these complaints, they can send those to the board as a request for a meet and confer, and then they'll get somebody to sit with them and talk to them about that issue. And that's why the legislature created that statute, because they were hearing, you know, my board doesn't listen to me. And then they push me into arbitration and suddenly I'm in front of a judge and I've never had a chance to just ex express my opinion. Yeah, I think that's really an important message for the boards to hear from you today. And that is that people just want to be heard. But in all fairness, time and place is everything. And it should be in the right context, not emotionally escalated where they're feeling threatened or attacked. So they should make some kind of like, uh, you know, office hours where, hey, we're willing to come and 
listen to your your whole and 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 express why we think that you're wrong or what you may not have considered or you don't have all the the facts like you mentioned i think they've really got to make an effort to try to give people a chance to have their voice heard most of the time that's all they want is just hear me out yeah i have a funny story so we, we have an association that we represent and they have two-story houses pretty large houses and I think they have four and five bedroom models, maybe some three bedroom models, two car garage and an apron driveway. So you can't park on the driveway and then no street parking and mm. very little guest parking. And everybody who moved into this community, the developer, they had them specifically sign and acknowledge, you only can have two cars here. You only have parking for two cars. So fast forward, the developer transitioned out. <laughs> Every board meeting, what did we argue about? Parking. 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 I want three cars. And they could, at the time, I don't know if Walmart still does it, but there was a Walmart across the street, but it was a very busy, busy street. So you had to go back to the light and, and curve around to get to the Walmart. But you could park your car over there, but nobody wanted to do that at night because it was too, you know, I don't want my teenage kid doing that at night. So every meeting, they would just, I mean, knives drawn, ready to, you know, and so I said, this one board meeting, I just stood up and I said, okay, stop. We're appointing a committee. Who is in favor of changing the parking rules? All the, okay, you're on the committee. Who's against it? <laughs> you're on the committee. <laughs> Who doesn't care? <laughs> and you put people from both sides on the committee and you send them to go solve the issue. And do you know that they came back and they had no solutions to the problem because there really were none. As I say, everybody has to have two cars. That's the solution. So. That's the solution. But we, they, they wanted to fight about it before they yeah. educated themselves that really we can't do what you want us to do there's no land we're landlocked there's no land for us to buy to create a parking garage or whatever it is you want yeah. so it is what it is what's the board's ability to to deal with keyboard warriors so you have the the homeowner that doesn't come to the meetings they just get on next door and they just rant and rave so you know what you do you don't engage you don't read those rages you don't engage them if they send them to the manager they go into the board packet mm -hmm. and the board you know then the manager has to has to educate the board that hey this homeowner has been sending me thing after thing after thing do you want to address it and then maybe like reagan said maybe at that point you ask, invite them to meet and confer come sit with us and let's discuss your concerns but the worst thing the board can do is go on to next door, go on to Facebook and start engaging. Okay. I agree with you. And now that there's actually legislation that protects the keyboard warrior, it's even more critical that they just offer themselves an opportunity to talk. We have lost our ability to communicate with each other without putting it out there in a slew of texts and TikToks. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know, it's really important that we not lose sight of being a good neighbor. And I think you have to start that from the top and the boards themselves are going to have to really work to be good neighbors and hear out their neighbors and then tell them, you know, let me take this back to the whole group and we'll see if there's a, a reasonable response. And all that we ask is that you be reasonable when we come back with our response. Yeah, you just have to figure out how to diffuse the situation. And I find the people, you know, when I'm going back and forth with somebody on a written platform, if you sit down with them one-on-one, -on -one, it's so much easier to talk through things. You know, it's, it's hard to convey in writing what, you, what we can discuss freely in person. 
And so, you know, really giving that person a chance to be heard and to be understood and being respectful in disagreeing with them. I mean, I yeah. think we need to go back to having our manners. You know, people yes, don't absolutely. have manners yeah, anymore. Manners. <laughs> you yeah, know, or I, you're going to end up calling Jennifer to go to arbitration. <laughs> That's right. what I, mean, I, I think, you know, if you listen to, to like a city or county council or listen to the legislature, they disagree with each other constantly in those public forums, but they're very respectful in how they do it. Mm -hmm. oftentimes and I think just kind of learning from how to convey your point without being rude about it is really important well if somebody is having a problem that they need some help and, and are trying to engage a third party how could they reach out to Jennifer for some counsel they can go onto our website bayjacklaw.com and that's probably the best way to find the information to contact us and of course, if they can't find that or they're not sure, they can always reach out to us at inquiry at gbgroupinc.com. Normally at this time, we would ask for a good story, but you've already shared like three really good ones. Oh, I have one. Oh, no, I have oh, a story. Ready? All right. Share the I'm story. Ready, Jennifer. <laughs> this is my favorite part of the podcast is telling the story. So right. back in the day, before marijuana was legal in California, <laughs> <laughs> We used to have what we would call grow houses. And this was mm -hmm. at a time when the economy was kind of in the, in the dumps. And so people were not being able to sell their houses. It wasn't a brisk mm -hmm. real estate market. So some people decided to grow cannabis in their houses. And these grow houses would just, I mean, the entire house would be cannabis. Yes. And so it was kind of widely reported on the news that this was happening and they would, you know, bust these grow houses. And of course, Several of them were in our HOAs. Of course they were. And so I had a really, really funny manager that I was dealing with one time, and she sent me some landscape guidelines to review. And the landscape guidelines were from Mary J. Mary Design Group Planning and Landscape Architecture. And all of the plants that are approved in the landscape guidelines are cannabis plants. <laughs> <laughs> Common name Ace Acapulco Gold. Bamba La Chamba, Bambi Blaze, Blunt Bobo, Giggle Smoke, Goody Goody Grass, Gunja, Happy Cigarette Hash, Mary Jane, Old School, Maui Wowie, Mexican Brown, Mighty Mez, Mohasi, Muda Muda, Buggy Bernie, Tara Chiba, so forth and so on, Fatty, Ganja, Zambi, Zigzag. There's a long, long list, but it's a very, very funny thing that she did. And she sent me these to review as if I was reviewing for an association. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny that's really great i love but that now it's legal so you know yeah now they just go down to the shop and have all those names up exactly on the wall. exactly well thanks again for joining us jennifer i know we will have you back again you uh will be our first and our last i'm sure so i like it <laughs> i like it thanks so much you guys i always have so much fun doing this podcast with you and it's just great to be a part of this adventure that you guys are on with these podcasts they're wonderful i love listening to them well, we appreciate that you're always willing to educate our right. industry. And that's what this is about, is just trying to keep the education process going. Thanks again. Have a great day.